Global Broadcasting Networks Works presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best internet minds in the business. Now, here are your hosts, internet brand strategist Sandra Beck. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here today with my lovely co-host Angela Breidenbach. You can find her at AngelaBreidenbach.com and for our listeners who aren't familiar with you, Angela, who haven't listened to the other 11 hours in this series <laughs> or 12 hours, I can't even keep track anymore and we keep adding them because there's so much to talk about. So I encourage you guys, if you are listening today, to um, check out CoachTalkRadioShow.com, Toginet.com, or go to iTunes and download Coach Talk Radio Show because we have great episodes on character, plot, you know, synopsis, writing a query letter, you know, avoiding rejection. I mean, there's a ton of them. You're just going to want to check these out. And today, the name of the game is Research and Research Techniques, and we're going to welcome Lena Nelson-Dooley on uh, a little bit later in today's show to talk about some of these things. But before we do, Angela, I'd like you to introduce yourself. Thank you. And thank you for the honor of being with you for all these shows. It has been absolutely delightful and really enriching in my life. So thank you for that. Um, I am a Christian author. I write historical and um, contemporary romance, but I also write a little bit of nonfiction and some journalism. And I do a lot of fun little cat comedy uh, clips on Facebook and my website and things like that. Um, I'm a travel bug. I love to travel. And I have six kids, four mine, two his, and they're all grown up. And so now we have a passel of grandchildren too. So that's kind of who I am. And I'm from Montana. And that's been a, a real interesting part of my life because I get all four seasons up here. And where I'm originally from in Las Vegas, there's, there's none. No seasons. It's hot. <laughs> so it's really fun to be um, a Montana girl these last 24 years and enjoy being a part of a smaller community and, and more of a country girl. So it's really an interesting level of change from my earlier life. But that's who I am. And if you don't mind, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my friend, Lena Nelson Dooley. And she has been a lovely lady in my life. At times, I've sat down with her at conferences and had 15 to 30-minute mentoring appointments. And so she has been instrumental in my career. I've got 13 books now, and I would say that Lena had a lot to do with helping me learn how to balance my career and my family life and um, my marriage and things like that at one point because I went to her and I said, how do I do all this? And she sat and mentored <laughs> me at one of the ACFW conferences. So she is Lena Nelson Dooley. She's an award-winning author. She's had more than 875,000 copies of her books sold. She's a member of ACFW, Christian Authors Network, and the Gateway Church in South Lake, Texas. She's an ECPA and CBA bestseller and an Amazon bestseller, as well as Reviewer's Top 10 Books of 2011. Her awards include Will Rogers Medallion, the Sela Award, Reader's Choice Book Award, a Reader's Choice Blog Award, and in addition to her writing, Lena's a frequent speaker at women's groups, writing groups, and both regional and national conferences. She has spoken nationally and internationally, and she hosts the Lena Nelson Dooley Show on the Along Came a Writer blog radio network. Lena's on Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, LinkedIn. Uh, does this give you a little hint of our past marketing episode just before this one? <laughs> and her internationally connected blog where she interviews other authors and promotes their books. 
Remember what we said about that in the last show? Welcome, Ms. Lena Nelson-Dooley. I'm thrilled to be here. I really am. She has a website at Lena Nelson Dooley, D O O L E Y dot com, and she has a blog at Lena Nelson Dooley dot blogspot dot com. Do you remember from the last show we talked about freebies? Blogspot's your freebie, and she has a fabulous blog. So, hey, Lena, tell us about your blog for a minute and how you interview and promote other authors. Well, when everybody started blogging back in 2005, I had four book deadlines, and I just told God, I said, I I don't know what this is, but if you want me to do it, you're going to have to tell me how to do it and what to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. And actually, I was the very first person to ever give a free books away on a blog. And Wow, you know, I didn't know that. In- yes, I was. Back in 2005, you won't find any before that. And that's part of the plan God gave me, but... I actually have, I've, it's taken me a while, but I've worked it down to a science. I have like 20 or 22 sets of questions so that the authors can come back time after time after time, and I don't have to make new questions. <laughs> and so I send, I send the questions to them. I tell them I need a, a headshot and a cover, and uh then it takes me, I do five a week, and it takes me between 30 minutes and an hour to put up the blog interview. It's according to how complicated. A lot of them I have to totally reformat. But mm. uh, I have built an audience that's amazing. I mean, I didn't do it. God did, you know. But I have I have a potential reach each day of over 65,000 people. So when you're and, doing uh, this, though, do you? this is something that goes right into our topic of research, that this is one technique you use. Is that correct? Of the blogs, you mean? Yeah, because, I mean, you can research the other authors and what they're doing. Don't right. you learn a lot oh, while you're doing I that? I keep up with, yes, that's true. I keep up with what is going on in Christian publishing through all of the different authors and all of the different genres. And I do find out some interesting things that do put ideas into my mind about things to look, maybe spark for a story or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you write mostly historical, though, correct? No. <laughs> I ah! have sold more historical than contemporary. I am... I guess I'm considered a historical, but I, I've had two books this year come out uh, that, that were contemporary in novella collections, you know. Mm-hmm. But I wrote, um, my first book that ever was published was contemporary. But I've written a lot more historical. And I'm kind of like considered an expert in the late... 19th century. So how did you, how do you go about then, uh, being an expert in the late 19th century, how do you go about um, researching a story once you have a topic that you want to use? Well, I usually, I, I do some research beforehand. A lot of times I'll, because I'm a seat-of-the-pants writer, 
I'll be riding along. I mean, I do have an idea of where the story's going, but I'll be riding along, and I'll think, oh, I want to use this. But did they have that then? Or was that this? You know, and then I stop and do research at that time, too. But I've, um, I've used the Internet for research, but you have to be really careful. You have to be able to find the same information at least three times on, on sites that you can trust. That aren't repeating the same thing from the first site you found, right? Right, right. Because I think I, that's one I of the things that people invested. don't realize, that they're just repeating yeah. and it's almost like parroting, and you can find this parroting happening all over the Internet. Yeah. Well, and that copy yeah. and pasting, this is Sandra, the copy and pasting can sometimes leave off crucial details. Like, it can be, it can start out correct, and then by the time it's like the telephone game, by the time it's copy and pasted or, or even su- subtly rewritten, um, it's, it's, it's very different. And one of the things as an author is you've got to have credibility. If you're talking about something and you get it wrong, there's always going to be somebody out there who knows you got it wrong. Yes. Yes. One of the, one of the hallmarks of my historical novels is my attention to my authentic details. My people and their story is all that fiction. Everything else in that book is as authentic as I can get it. And I know one time I was telling my husband, I said, I have got to find out this particular thing. And he said, why? It's all a lie. <laughs> to him, fiction is a lie. You know? I said, James, there are people, there are readers who are learning their history from historical novels because they hated history in school. It was mm. dry and boring. And so I think it, as Christian, as novelists who are writing historical, it is our place to make sure everything we write in there, uh, political, what was going on in politics, society, uh, fashions, cl- uh, Food, transportation, tools they used, whatever you needed there. I know I read a novel from someone. I love her writing. She's a wonderful novelist. Her stories are good. She had a story about a shipbuilder in the late 1800s, and he was using plywood. Well, plywood didn't come about until in the, the 1900s. So that just kind of killed it for me, you know, for for that book. And if yeah. you do that too often, readers that know will stop reading your books because they know you're getting it wrong. And I don't. And want they'll send you get... really nasty letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. <laughs> right, or they can take your beloved children's book, like Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House on the Prairie, put it on the Big Bang Theory, call it Little House on the Preposterous, because Doc Baker used a telephone in the country, even though they were only available at large cities at the time. I mean, we see this. Laura was eating a peanut butter sandwich, and he points out that peanut butter wasn't invented till the 1900s. So, no, you know, no. we've got to get yeah. these right. We all laugh at it. We love Sheldon Cooper when he when he does this to Amy. But the, the truth is in the, 
the, the truth is really in the pudding. It's like you've got to get it right, and there's a lot of ways to fact check today. So mm-hmm. we are talking today with Angela Breidenbach. Our special guest star is Lena Nelson Dooley. Now, she's got lots of books. She has over 850,000 copies of her books sold, so she is somebody you're going to want to look at, have a copy of. See what she does. Success leaves clues. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about research. We're going to talk about some of the secrets that uh, Lena Nelson Dooley and Angela Breidenbach use on a daily basis. We'll be back after the break. and change are accelerating, making it increasingly difficult to gracefully go with the flow. Women Change the World presents conversations with featured guests about changes in their lives and how that change has created new and positive opportunities. Women Change the World with your host, Dr. Beth Golden, Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central here on toginet.com. We all know that change can knock you off course. And Dr. Beth's show and practices focus on revealing everything that's right with you. This information will help you make choices that align your true nature and set you along your path of least resistance. As Dr. Beth says, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. For more on Dr. Beth and her show, go to drbethgolden.com. That's drbethgolden.com. Women change the world. With your host, Dr. Beth Golden, Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central, here on toginet.com. Here's another segment of News of the Odd. A Florida woman recently had her windshield shattered when a turtle crashed through it as she drove along a Florida highway. Nicole Marie Jane shared a photo of the incident on social media. Jane shared the photo of the turtle and her shattered car's windshield. In the photo, the turtle can be seen lying on its back on Jane's dashboard after Florida Highway Patrol officers say it was run over by a car in front of her. Officers told ABC News the turtle struck Jane's windshield, shattering it. Jane said she was driving about 75 miles per hour and noticed debris near the road, but did not see the turtle until it was flying through her windshield. She was treated for minor cuts at the scene, but both Janes and the turtle walked away, apparently without any serious injuries. Janes wrote on Facebook she would have liked to have kept the turtle, but it was ultimately placed in a nearby pond and swam away. This has been another News of the Odd on AstronetRadio.com. guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Angela Breidenbach and our special guest star, Lena Nelson Dooley. Now, that's spelled L-E-N-A, Nelson, L-E-S-O-N, Dooley, D-O-O-L-E-Y.com. You're going to want to check her out because success leaves clues, and she is a definitely one to follow. Now, we're talking today about research techniques, and we really want to know what 
we can use out there because there's so much out there. There's like an over amount of research opportunities. But as Lena so elegantly pointed out, they're not all very good. Some of them are good. Some of them are not good. How do you know? That's why we turn to some of our trusted experts like Lena Nelson Dooley to kind of shed a light on where we can go for some really great fact-checking resources. Well, um, one of the things, if, if I'm trying to find something and I know what I'm looking for, um, I, you, you'll probably laugh, Angie, but I use, I do go to Wikipedia. I do not take, that is a starting point. I would Wikipedia, agree. I wouldn't laugh at that at all. It's a starting point, but I would never quote never, it. Never use it for your final. I, it gives me... And they have, uh, they list places to go where the information came from. And you can go search things out. Now, I trust uh, university sites. Mm-hmm. I trust most of the government sites. Um, I, I trust, uh, I know there's, you can find legal sites. You can find medical sites. As long as they're, they're um, from a trusted place. Uh, you know, I've and, actually gone to like the Mayo Clinic when you said medical yes. sites. I've gone to the yes. Mayo Clinic and looked up signs and symptoms of certain diseases if I want my character to you know, be ill or be injured or something like that. And then from there, I've then looked up the history of the discovery of that disease or you know, the tool, like I had one where I was really interested in knowing how they discovered it and if there was a vaccination for it at the time and because somebody had said they had a vaccination and I thought, no way. And it actually, there were vaccinations available before the 1900s, which blew my mind. But I had well, to that, research it in the history that, of it and, that took me to a medical journal to find that. That was a kind of thing that happened to me because uh, with uh, The Gold Digger, my book, The Gold Digger, the, the heroine has a, a, a woman she's been helping dies and gives her her baby, you know, because uh, she doesn't want her parents to have it. Mm. And she ends up going across the United States. This is a heroin in peril, mail order bride gone awry story. And so the the heroine goes across the country from Boston to Golden, New Mexico, and I'm like, how does she feed the baby? And so I thought there weren't weren't formulas that were good back then. Guess what? There were. Really? What year is this? But there were formulas that weren't good. But a doctor in Switzerland had cre- had created a formula for preemie babies, and it <clears throat> it was Doctor Nestle. No. And, <laughs> yes. And it was, they mixed it with water, and warm water it had to be warm water. And by the time of my book, it had come to the United States and gone all the way across. So that is they were so able cool. to get that formula. Now, the baby bottles were different. They were really strange looking. But they were, see, I had no idea. Like you said, Angie, I had no, you didn't know that there were vaccinations. I didn't know that there was a formula that was good enough. 
at that time. You wow. know, it's interesting when you find these tidbits. Mm-hmm. But I also used, uh, <clears throat> I, ha- I have books and things that I use, and I'll talk about them a little later, uh, that I have quite a library of them. You know, I, I have a library of them, too, of different books. But then that's the other point, is um, going to the library. And there here in Montana, in Missoula, at the Missoula Public Library, we have what's called the Montana Room. And I found out that a majority of the libraries across Montana have Montana rooms. And it's all the historical books, documents about the people who, you know, all created this great state of Montana. They won't let you take anything out of that room. So you have to go sit there and read the books there. But they uh-huh. let me take pictures with my smartphone and stuff like that of these antique books or documents that are that are in there. And that's um, one way that I ended up getting drawn into being uh, writing a lot about Montana in my historicals and things like that because I loved the fact that I just loved sitting in that room and all that history <laughs> around me. <laughs> well, uh, when I was writing Maggie's Journey, one of the first McKenna's Daughter's series book, it was uh, took place mostly in uh, Seattle, Washington territory, because it was in the late, it was 1885, and Washington did not become a state till 18, around 1890. And so I, I couldn't find, I couldn't find anything to where I could picture Seattle at that time period. I could find earlier and later. And so I used to work I volunteered in a library, and I knew about the adult librarians who will help you uh, find things. And I contacted the adult librarian in Seattle, and I told them I was writing a book and that I, I couldn't find books and I couldn't find websites that would help me. I said, I don't want you to do the research for me, but if you could give me some links and, uh, and book titles. Well, they sent me a book. They sent. They had digitized books, historical books from the 1800s, and they sent me one for the decade that I was looking for. And oh, then how cool. they had digitized in 2000. They had digitized literally thousands and thousands and thousands of historical photos, oh, and they gave me the link to so that fun. website. And I was able to go in to my decade, and I could—I found pictures of all over Seattle at that time. And it told the streets. It told the uh, who was in the picture, who owned the businesses, who owned the hotels, all of those kind of things. It was a mecca of information. Oh, I, I have cre- to tell you, I, that would be uh, just so fun for me. And when my husband and I, of course, living in Missoula, we took all of our kids plus grandma over to Seattle for a vacation. And in Pioneer Square there, you can go do the Seattle Underground Tour. And cool. we got hooked on Underground Tours. And I'm going to start doing like a series on my blog about the different Underground Tours I've done and will continue to do. Because the history, like you said, 
It was there in the tour. It was presented in an entertaining and fun, digestible way. But yeah. to, you know, it's very difficult with um, doing these this kind of a thing where you're reading an old antique book, and we love digging into that kind of history. But how do you then turn that historical detail from an antique book for our, for our listeners into a story and make it interesting? Yeah. Yeah. See, seeing it uh, in pictures is just phenomenal. And I, it, I, was, I was able to add some real interesting things that I wouldn't have even known. Because you can do it through the description. Yes, yes. Uh, I've had, I didn't realize um, that like they had more the, than one college at that time in Seattle. Really? Yes. I mean, what, was, what decade was that? Uh, the 1880s. Wow. You know, it, it really yeah. surprised me as I started doing research for, you know, my historicals. And I tend to write more Western historical, although there's a few others, you know, pending down the line. Um, because of my interest in genealogy, I'm, I'm heading over to Pennsylvania and Scotland in some of my historicals. And, and I'll be using some wow. of my own, you know, genealogy in that to enhance it. But to get paid for my research, you know what I mean? It's like, ooh. I'm going to research my own family. I'm going to use them in fiction stories. So they're going to technically, they're paying me to do my research on my own family. <laughs> yes, yes, that's good. Well, I know some people who research their family and then they write a book using that research. You know, that's good. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm doing, but rather than doing it nonfiction, I, I want to do it fiction and uh, tell the love stories of my people. Yes. Isn't that fun? Yeah. Yes. So in, when you're taking this, though, like um, I read a lot of the old books that have been scanned into Google, you know, the Google books, yes. kind of like what you're talking about. And yes, in that doing, was another thing. I was going to go there next, but that's yeah. fine. You take us there. <laughs> because well uh, when i started writing the debutante queen um yeah. i really didn't realize i was doing the the first year when montana became a state which is 1889 and, and i never i've got to interrupt you this is fascinating you guys were, uh -oh. were so great but i need to take us to commercial break this is sandra beck of coach talk radio my lovely co-host is angela breidenbach the guest of the hour is lena nelson dooley now you're going to want to check her out at lena nelson dooley.com she is a very prolific writer she's a great writer as is angela i suggest that you guys buy their books open them up Look at them and follow along in our coaching series because we reference sections of our books in episodes and you can look at it and go, I see what the author is doing here. And you can implement these techniques into your own writing, just like Lena was talking about some of these great resources that are out there. Or in other episodes, we've talked about freebies that are out there that can really make a difference for every writer. Now, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about the craft of writing and some of these great tips and tricks and techniques from Lena Nelson Dooley, Angela Breidenbach, and your host Sandra Beck will be back after the break.
pets in U.S. households than any other pet. Most allurophiles or cat owners know that unlike dogs, taking Kitty for a ride in the car isn't any fun. I mean, you never see a cat hanging its head out the window, enjoying the breeze. Today's domestic cat is descended from a small Mideastern wildcat. A group of kittens is called a kindle, and a group of adult cats is a clouder. What's the word for those dust balls composed entirely of cat hair? Fluffernugans. Personally, I like pigs better than either cats or dogs. Dogs are subservient and look up to man. Cats are aloof and look down on man. A pig, however, will look you in the eye and see as equal. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Runners are frequently plagued with injuries, aches, and pains. Much of these injuries can be traced to how they are landing on their feet when they run. When a runner lands on their heels, it sends forces up to three times their weight through their body. In the journal Medicine and Science in Sports and Exercise, it was recently reported that runners who land on the ball of their foot are 40% less likely to have repetitive stress injuries than those who touch down heel first. When a runner lands on their forefoot, the impact is barely measurable. Shape Magazine says to land on the outer ball of your foot behind the second to last and pinky toes. After the front of the foot hits, let your heel naturally touch down, then push off with your toes again to begin the next step. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Taking care of business every day. Taking care of business. Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Angela Breidenbach and we're visiting today with our special guest, Darlena Nelson-Dooley. And we are talking as part of our writer series that's available on iTunes under Coach Talk Radio. You can find it at Toginet, T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com or you can go to CoachTalkRadioShow.com. There's this and many other episodes like it, not only about writing and development, but also social media, virtual telecommuting, all sorts of things that are part of our business life today. Now, we are going to talk this segment about a great story that uh, Lena experienced. And Lena, I want to put the mic right over to you because I I don't want to miss this story. Okay. Uh, Our church had a, a play, Fiddler on the Roof, at one of its other campuses. We have six campuses here. And uh, we went over to the play, and one of my friends that goes to the same church, but we never see each other because we're in different campuses, she was there with her daughter who's about uh, about 20, I think, and then she had a friend with her, and she had a daughter that was the same age. And she she was introducing me to this friend, and she said, oh, this is my friend Lena Nelson-Dooley, and she writes books, and and we love them, and, and they were going, she she writes books, what kind of books? And they went through all that kind of thing like we go through. And uh, so I was telling them about the latest things, and I was telling them that the Gold Digger had just come out, and I, I had done it as, as e-book and print book, and the audio book had just come out. And when I said audio book, those two 20-year-olds went, oh, I'll download that. That's what they want. They want audiobooks because they don't have to keep up with them. They can listen to them on their 
iPhone, their Samsung, whatever, you know, keep them with them. And audiobooks are really growing. And you can Yeah, they them. are. This yeah, is the new, you know, the new S curve is audiobooks. Yeah, the ones that I went through, you can get them on Amazon, you can get them on audible.com, which is the company that we went through. And then Kobo, and I have no idea what Kobo is. You guys may know. <laughs> and they're on iTunes. You can download them on iTunes. See, you don't have and, to know everything to be an author. You just have <laughs> to do what you have to do. And that we were talking about that in the last episode, Lena, about if you have a dream and you want to achieve that dream, um, the only way to do it is to try and fail and try and fail. And then one day you try and you succeed, but you still don't know everything. And that's the same. That's why, why these research techniques, why, um, the elements that we need to understand so well as writers, why this whole series. But, you know, Kobo is another publication company like Amazon well, or like Barnes and Noble. And so it's another where you can do ebooks and you can do. Um, audio, you can do all sorts of stuff with it. It's just another way of having a platform to to get a book. And I think um, it's crucial for us to understand that we as authors are always learning. And Lena is an oh, excellent yes. example of that. Yeah, I, I, I will never quit learning. I feel like if I quit learning, I'll die. <laughs> you know? I hear you. <laughs> I think, you know, we were talking about... Um, audiobooks as a way to digest fiction or novels or whatever but i have found that audiobooks and podcasts are excellent ways to do research too because maybe i'm researching a genre and i want to listen to what that genre sounds like but yeah. maybe i'm in, i'm trying to research a nonfiction topic because my character has that type of a job i might want to listen to an audiobook on that nonfiction while i'm out walking or or anything that i'm doing uh, i often like i've said before put on a podcast or an audiobook while i'm cleaning cooking um, or exercising because it's a great way to use your time. But um, so, how well, many of your books are on audio? Like, Sorry, just want to give you some stats here from the internet radio chair. But my listeners, eighty percent of my listeners listen while they're doing something else on Motherhood Talk Radio. They listen a lot while they're doing chores, doing laundry. They download, take the podcast, and go. On Coach, we know that the aerospace industry is listening. We know the defense contractor wow. industry is listening. We know that 80% of our listeners are actually at work, doing work, running reports, uh, you know, listening while they work, whether they're receptionist level, all up to executive level. And this is a new thing, but it's an old thing. Because you remember the old secretaries from, like, my mom, when she was a secretary in the 50s and 60s, she had her little radio sitting by her desk, and she'd listen to music. Well, we know people are listening to podcasts while they work. They're listening while they work out. They're absorbing this on airplanes. So the little podcast, our humble little internet streamed podcast over here is not to be denied. I can right. verify they listen on airplanes because the first time I heard your show, Sandra, I was on an airplane flying back from Las Vegas and I listened to your show. <laughs> oh, how cool, cool is that? Yeah, it was the first time I'd ever heard of you, and I thought, oh, what is this? And I and I downloaded it before I got on the plane. So it was really fun. 
It's um, cool. I was on a plane with a bunch of guys that had just returned from Afghanistan that were coming back to Camp Pendleton. And I don't know, we all started talking. They said, oh, you know, what do you do? You know a lot about the military because I told my kids to hush. The, you know, these guys need to sleep. They're coming back, blah, blah, blah. And a guy like three seats over leaned over. and He goes, oh, my gosh, my wife loves your show. And you talked about this, this, and this. I was floored because I'm just... Wow. You know, you don't really think of yourselves. And girls, I'm sure you guys feel like this, too, at times. It's like I, you get on the radio, you do your thing, you go back, I raise my kids, I, I take care of my dad, yeah. I go to church, I go to wherever I need to go, and I don't really think about it. And so it's You live funny. life. Yeah, when somebody says, oh, yeah, I listen to you. I'm like, really? I don't even listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great show. Um, Lena, let's get into um, copyrights. Like we use a lot of of quotes and things like that, maybe biblical verse or maybe you. this is the theme of your book. And so you want to put the the Bible verse at the top of the chapter or on the um, inside page as you're going into the book. Um, Let's talk copyrights. I have some people that um, I've talked to recently that that don't understand that the Bible is actually copyrighted in different versions. The King James Version is not copyrighted. It is in public domain. And if they want to use that, they can use that, and it's fine. But any of the more modern translations are under copyright. But the Bible, the people who have copyrighted their version of the Bible are very gracious. And they have, uh, you can go to their website, and they have a thing that says how many verses you can use without contacting them to get permission and they and they and but you have to put used by permission copyrighted by Tyndall or whoever and if you don't do that it's a real problem uh, and actually and, the King James there's a new King James version you have to be very careful that one is copywritten that one is and, copyrighted and the the um, Queen of England actually owns the copyright to um, the King James version. So it, but it's again, like you said, they're very gracious. But yeah, when it's, you're it's, using it, um, you have to, you have to, you're allowed to, but you have to print inside the um, copyright page the actual wording, right? Yes, yes, and uh, and when you use it. You must write it. You must write it exactly as it's written in the book, with the same punctuation. This everything exactly like it is. That's what you've lifted out of the Bible. And another thing that some writers don't know, and this is a, a real problem. I have a lot of friends at our church who are songwriters. Our church has. We're right behind Hillsong for. Uh, songwriters who are producing the new songs today that are used mm-hmm. in churches all over the world. And a lot of people will say, oh, well, I love this song. I'm going to use these words in this story. Well, you can't do it. You can use the title. That Titles are not copyrighted. So you can use the title in the text of your book. But if you're going to put the words of a song in your book, you have to go through the copyright owner. And it says you can find that real easy online. You just look up that song, and it'll tell what copy, who owns the copyright. 
and you have to go through the copyright owner. Now, some um, some want, want to be paid if you're getting paid for your book. Now, I in one of my books, um, it's one that's going to come out in it's this. Uh, I think it's Christmas. Con- no, it's not Christmas confusion. It's another one. <laughs> but anyway, it was one it's of hard when you have a lot of contracts and a lot of books going because you're writing one, yeah. you're you're promoting one, you're plotting yes. one, you're editing one. <laughs> yeah, but uh, this one has been out for a while. But it was it was in the uh, Christmas in Nevada Nevada kind of book that we had, and I wanted to use the words of. Uh, that one of the songwriters that I know well at our church, and I just I just uh, emailed him and I said, Zach, I would like to use the words to this song in my book because right now the spiritual thread is blah, but this will take it to the place I want it to be. And he emailed me back and said, I believe that worship songs are to be... Uh, shared for people to be able to use them and I give you my permission that's all I needed I sent it to my publisher and they took care of all of that and I but had without and so that they won't even publish it I was it. able to use it in my story and I was so thrilled I took a copy and had him have him sign it like you know you have the author sign so I've got a I've got a signed copy from Zach Neese on my in my bookshelf. Oh man, that's so awesome! Girls, I got to <laughs> take us to commercial break. This is Coach Talk Radio. We're visiting with Angela Breidenbach and special guest star Lena Nelson Dooley. Now they mentioned a website earlier in today's episode called Kobo. That's K O B O dot com. It's Kobo eBooks, e-readers, and reading apps. So you guys are going to want to check that out. It's a Canadian company that sells ebooks, oh, cool. e-readers, and tablet computers. So when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about mapping out a town. Now, this is interesting because we have a setting, and some settings might be like Los Angeles, but some of them might be fiction or parts of stories in our minds. So we want to talk about how to map out a town to tell a story. We'll be back after the break. Employers put a lot of time into reading your resume? According to a new survey from CareerBuilder, most employers spend only about two minutes reviewing resumes. Almost 60% of employers said that the most common resume gaffes were exaggerated job responsibilities, fictional dates of employment, and unreal job titles. Some of the employers surveyed's favorite miscababbles on resumes include one applicant who claimed to be the former CEO of the company he was applying for. Another applicant claimed to be fluent in two languages, one of which was Pig Latin. And my personal favorite was a creative job seeker who claimed on his resume that he worked at a jail when he actually 
was serving time there. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. It's words you never heard. Laughter was such good medicine. Ancient Greek physicians sent their patients to visit comedians to be healed. In the 1300s, surgeon Henry D. Mondeville used to tell jokes to his patients in the recovery room. Dr. Mondeville must have been a bit of a vitzel such. That's a person who tells jokes and no one ever laughs. We laugh six times more when in the company of another person than we do by ourselves, and 30 times more when we are in a group. Laughter isn't under our conscious control. If you've ever started cackinating at school, in church, or at a funeral, you know what I'm talking about. Cackinating is another word for uncontrollable laughter. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Taking care of Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and this is Coach Talk Radio and we're visiting today with, An- um, sorry, our, my lovely co-host Angela Breidenbach and our special guest Arlena Nelson Dooley. Now, this is where it gets interesting because there are areas, like books sometimes are set in Rome or they're set in Los Angeles or set in New York City and, you know, for somebody like me who's familiar with these cities, it's really fun to travel with a character um, around the city and see things, but a lot of times we're going back in time, especially in these historical books. I don't know how you girls do it, um, but we go back in time, and you have to see, you know, Los Angeles with the fruit trees, or you have to see Rome with the chariots rolling around, and not little crazy cab drivers like wiping out people on bikes right and left. So, how do you do that? Like, how do you how do you map out a city from like eighteen fifty? And especially if it doesn't exist in the archives. Um, one of the things I'm going to pop in real quick, and then I'm going to turn it over to Lena. Go ahead. Um, in the book that's coming out, uh, or that's just out now, called um, The Blue Ribbon Brides, by, and it came out through Barber, and I had a 20,000-word novella in there. And that is equates to about 65 to 70 pages. And I had to have my setting correct. And I was, it's set in Chicago, but it's set in the White City, which is where the Columbian Expedition, uh, the World's Fair happened. And it, and during the 1893 experience of this. And so I started researching online to find this. And lo and behold, I stumbled under, uh, I stumbled into this wonderful website that had black and white maps of the entire white city. And I stumbled on, I have a subscription at newspapers.com. Um, and I put in there, you know, that I was looking for, um, accidents or emergencies, um, the big headlines for the, the World's Fair. And I also found that at a certain intersection in downtown Chicago, this carriage had turned over. It was called an omnibus, a giant carriage that was acting like a public bus system. And it had happened at this certain intersection. So 
Then I pull out a map of the regular Chicago and I looked at the differences of Chicago today versus the black and white map I'd found on a website um, about that and started comparing and understanding where it was today. And out of that, I was able to describe the incident and have my character, my heroine, actually be tossed out of the back door of an omnibus being, you know, driven by horses and have the hero find her a couple blocks from the entry to the white city. But it was in using the black and white map and the current day map and piecing it all together that I was able to do that. Lena, how do you create setting? Well, <clears throat> sometimes, well, now in historical, not so much. Sometimes when I'm writing contemporary, I will make a fictional town that's very close to a contemporary town because I know if you put things in there that aren't true, aren't quite correct, you get re- readers get mad at you. I, the one I'm writing right now, I'm almost finished. It's set in Fort Worth, and I live in a suburb of Fort Worth. So I am having a lot of fun <laughs> doing that one. I will say, when I was writing um, Maggie's Journey, which which is book one of the McKenna's Daughter series, she goes from uh, Seattle, Washington, by train, and I have I actually have a train book that has maps and and cars and all kinds of things all through history of the United States up you know up until the 20th century. So I have maps to go by. You can find things like that in in books but mm-hmm. anyway I, I the train would go from went across the uh rocky mountains they stopped in denver and and i was able to find a, a map i mean information about denver at that time and it had to go to st louis and so i'm thinking wonder what it i wish i could find something it would show me what St. Louis was like in that year, 1885, because then the train came back down to Little Rock, Arkansas. She was going to see her grandmother in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I came from Arkansas, and I was able to find Little Rock maps and things. But I I just put uh, St. Louis, 1885, in Google. And up pops this map of St. Louis. In 1885, and it's amazing what you can find on on Google (laughs) that starts you off on the right foot. I could I I could put I knew where the train station was. I could tell I could know what streets that were there. I chose a hotel for them to stay in overnight that was on that map. Nice, And and then I looked that hotel up itself. And I could see what it looked like. I mean, it, it was fun. <laughs> you know, I did like the that. same type of a thing by going to in in Helena because a lot of uh, my series, the Montana Beginning series, that has the debutante queen, Eleven Pipers Piping, which talks about the yeah. little newsies that showed up because they were dropped off oh, by the I orphan read train. The, I read you know, books. <laughs> and oh yes, you did. Thank you. And. Um, <laughs> Then I have Taking the Plunge, which is about the Broadwater Natatorium, and that had already been torn down. And I'm like, what am I going to do? I can't find anything. I found a little bit online, and in there, um, they 
between all of those books um, and then going into this one um, that is coming out with Barber, it's it's really the same series, but they keep coming out with different publishers. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, what is it called? Bitter at Bride, you know. So Debutante Queen, Eleven Pipers Piping, the Taking the Plunge, and Bitter at Bride, all of those really centered around Helena, Montana. So I drove to Helena, which is about two hours away, and went to the Helena um, Historical Society and walked through their museum, took pictures of the clothing, and then I also found out in that um, that there were photos of the Natatorium, and that spawned a whole nother um, book, and then I was able to find the website that somebody as an enthusiast had created with antique pictures of the inside of the natatorium that helped me to put my characters in that place. You know, uh, Tracy Peterson's latest book is mm-hmm. is set in that hotel that's attached to the natatorium. Yeah, we talked yeah. about that. She actually contacted me and asked me where I got all my research from, so I sent her to the same places. <laughs> cool, cool. I just yeah. I read that not long ago. She, I, I'm featuring her on my blog. She would be a great one to have on on this show because she does uh, a lot of research, and her husband is a historian. Yes, and she knows a lot about the business because uh, for a period of time she was the acquisition editor for Barber for their uh, already published authors when when they bought more books from them when they had Heart Song. So she's she amazing. She's been a mentor yeah. to me, too. So if anybody's wondering who we're talking about, we're talking about Tracy Peterson, T-R-A-C-I-E Peterson, and she uh, with an O at the end. And she's also living in Montana, so she gets to be part of yeah. the Empty Pages writing group that I, that I have uh, here uh-huh. in Montana. And it's just been a delight to be part of your job of writing and my job of writing and her job of writing and together connecting and networking and um, being able to follow in, in the footsteps of these ladies that I adore, Lena Nelson Dooley and Tracy Peterson, and now Sandra Beck. <laughs> I know, I know. I feel like I'm on hallowed ground over here. I haven't done much this series, but write notes and learn. Do, do we have time for me to t- tell them one more thing? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Uh, there are books that are available, and I find them often on Amazon. If, if I'm going to make, write a book about a place, they are, called, they're his, they are books of historical photos from that place. I have, I, I have gotten them for, uh, I could get that for Oregon City and for San Francisco, they didn't have one for Seattle, but you can get these books and they're historical photos from the beginning of the city, and it has information in there telling about the founding and what happened and that kind of thing. And when I did one in um, Colorado, it even had oh, it had recipes of what they served in in the restaurant, like bear stew and all these kind of yeah. Things. That's yeah. so cool. What's the name of the books or the series? There, there's two different series, and one of them is called Historical Photos, and the other one is called, I can't, I'd can't. i have to look it up, and I'll send it to you. But mm-hmm. you can find them. You, you look in, in Amazon and put the name of the city you're looking for and put the 
search, and those books will show up. Oh, this is perfect, perfect ideas. Thank oh, you, wonderful. Lena. Because you see, I, that's how I found out that one time there was a, in, a snowstorm that was so deep, the snow was so deep in, in the uh, Summit County, where I was, Breckenridge, that they dug tunnels from store across the street to the next store. Oh, and see, that's great stuff to put in. I mean, you could actually have your character doing that. And that's yes. what doing great research yes. gives you, is an opportunity to build a setting, build characters in action. And, and a, another <laughs> I think it's I wonderful. That, that I picked up from uh, where there were just some books for sale. It's the New York Times, the complete front pages from the beginning of the New York Times until like uh, the 1990, I think. And there's the front page. Now, the first ones are really hard to read, so you have to put them under a magnifying glass. They get better later. But you can know the top stories and their political stories, their, uh, uh, you know, the things about the wars, the things about the presidents, the, all kinds of things like that. And that oh, you found out. Awesome thing We're at the end of our show. I want to thank you, Lena Nelson Dooley.com. You can check her out. She's been our special guest star today. Angela Breidenbach, AngelaBreidenbach.com. You're going to want to check out these award-winning authors. If you want to be a good writer, success leaves clues, buy their books, look at them, study them, see how they develop characters, see their towns. Thank you so much, girls, for giving you our insider tips and secrets from our award-winning authors, Lena Delson Dooley, Angela Breidenbach for Coach Talk Radio. This is Sandra Beck. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques from Coach Talk Radio.